Christmas began with joy. The pronouncement of the angels to the frightened shepherds was a message of great joy. Not just joy, but he said great joy. Great joy to all the people. And the reason for the great joy was the birth of the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah, the Savior of the world. But I got to tell you, the world that Jesus was born into was hardly one of joy. The angel brought a message of joy, but the world that they were living in was not one of joy. It was a world of despair, marked with despair, bondage to the Romans, hard labor, deep spiritual darkness. God's people groaned under Roman tyranny. They were under a dictatorship that was cruel and that persecuted the righteous. And the Jewish religion hardly comforted God's people. It was just loaded down with endless rules and regulations. And the way that some of you think about Christianity, you think Christianity is nothing but rules and regulations. And you got to do this and you can't do that. And, and that's all wrong. That's not what it is at all. But that's the way it was back then. You couldn't move, but what, there was some rule that told you how to move. Yet the angels pronounced, they said, we're here to give you a message of great joy to the whole world. So this message of joy was in stark contrast to what they were experiencing. The message of Jesus is not a message of bondage and rules. It's a message of joy. It's a message of joy. And and so is Christmas. That's why so many of our Christmas songs begin with joy or have something to do with joy. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem over and over again. Those who wrote Christmas carols knew that joy was connected to Christmas. That Christmas is a message of joy. I wonder how many of us are experiencing joy today. How many of you really have joy? See, that's a minority. <laughs> May the rest of you feel bad. Get your hand up. But I wonder how many of us really experience joy, really. It's hard to have joy when you're running from house to house, trying to make all your pit stops during Christmas time, especially in rush hour traffic. If you want to lose your joy quick, go to a mall. <laughs> and certainly don't do Black Friday where you might be stomped, you might be killed. What a lot of people don't understand is that joy is very different from happiness. Happiness comes from a Latin word that means happening. Something has to happen to make me happy. When I say that I'm happy, something has happened that made me happy, and so we're always on a search for that happening that will make us happy. You know, we go to the uh, work and we get a raise. That makes us happy. You go to the doctor and you get a good report. That makes you happy. Happy. When the Cowboys are 10 and 1? We have a lot of happy Cowboy fans. 
And believe me, I know the difference. I have pastor for a long time. When they're losing, people drag in here and they say, Pastor, you better preach me up because my boys are losing. So you got to have a happening to make you happy. But that's not what joy is. Joy doesn't care about circumstances. Joy doesn't come from a happening. Joy comes from getting right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Joy comes when your soul is made right with God through the blood and you experience the Holy Spirit coming to live in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit, who you were born to walk with, comes and lives in your heart and you know your sins are forgiven, then that's when you have not happiness, but joy. Joy. The New Testament mentions joy. I counted this. 63 times you find the word joy in the New Testament and you find phrases like this, joy in God, joy in the Holy Ghost, filled with joy, great joy, joy unspeakable, joy full of glory, exceeding joy. You can't get into the New Testament without encountering the word joy because Jesus equals joy. Getting right with God equals joy. Isaiah said, With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy. So clearly, Christianity is intended to be a lifestyle marked with joy. This is how Paul the Apostle could write the epistle to the uh, Philippians, which is called the epistle of joy. He wrote it from a Roman dungeon. I don't know about you, but I couldn't write many joyful things if I was in a Roman dungeon. But the, the, the book of joy, the epistle of joy was written in the dank, dark Roman dungeon where Paul was in prison, and he said, be joyful. In everything, give thanks. Have joy. Walk in joy. In everything, rejoice. So the joy that he was experiencing wasn't depending on a happening. It was within. Joy is an inside job. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Are you thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? Are you thankful for joy? Enjoy good? In the early centuries of the church, Christians dug catacombs, and they were tunnels leading to larger underground rooms. And these catacombs were used to bury the dead, sometimes to hide from Roman persecutors. If you can imagine finding some hole in the ground and going down into it and walking through a very precarious tunnel and coming into a larger room just to get away from Roman persecution, That's the catacombs. But do you know that on the catacombs' gloomy walls, excavators have found joy-filled writings and artwork? They had joy in the catacombs. Joy arrives when things aren't going your way. Joy comes when you're in a valley. Joy comes when all the odds are against you. Joy comes when you're in pain. Joy comes when everybody else has walked out. Joy walks in. God gives joy in the midst of trouble. He is a God of joy. Can I tell some of you that have wondered about Jesus and about Christianity? I want to tell you, he gives joy. You don't have to shoot something, smoke something, drink something, snort something to get it. He gives joy, and it's free. It's free. Now, I really do believe that the source of joy is found in that one verse, verse 11, where he says, for there is born to you this day 
in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I believe that's the verse that leads you to joy, and I'm going to break it down. The first thing I see here is that the arrival of Jesus was the fulfillment of amazing Bible prophecy. And that means the Word of God is the Word of God. You want to know how to know the Bible is the Word of God? By the prophecies in it. Do you know the Quran has no prophecy in it? You can't find another religious book from another religion that has prophecy in it. But the Bible is loaded. It's one quarter prophecy, most of it fulfilled. And the coming of Jesus being born in Bethlehem was a fulfillment of prophecy. He says, the city of David, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The city of David was not Jerusalem. It was Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. And in Jesus' day, it was a tiny, out-of-the-way, little town. If you had gone there in Jesus' day, you would have found just a few houses, like a teeny little East Texas town. It was no count. It was, it was not really much on the map. It was out of the way. You could even say it was on the other side of the tracks. It was not a major city, major metropolis. It was a tiny, little, inconsequential town. But that's what God picked. That's what God chose. He chooses that which is not to bring to naught things that are. In 1867, a Boston pastor named Phillips Brooks visited Bethlehem at Christmas time. When he returned home, he wrote a Christmas carol, which was set to music by his choir director for their Christmas concert that year. And we still sing it today. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. He was so moved by that little town of Bethlehem because it was the city of David. That's where David grew up with his daddy, Jesse, and his seven brothers. It's where he herded sheep just outside of Bethlehem in the countryside, and that's exactly what these shepherds are found doing. They are just outside, just over yonder from Bethlehem, and they're herding sheep when suddenly an angel of God, not a figment of their imagination, an angel of God appeared. I've got a message for you, and it's a message of joy. Now, here's the thing about Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born, think of seven centuries. If we went back seven centuries, we're in the year 1400. Before the technological revolution, before everything we know as Modernity, it it wouldn't be here. Nothing modern. Seven centuries, 700 years before Jesus' first cry split the night in Bethlehem, Micah, the prophet, declared that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Listen to what he said, Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will he come forth who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That phrase, ancient times, could better be translated from everlasting. Let me tell you what he's saying. Hey, Bethlehem, by the word of the Lord, by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, I am predicting that the Messiah, the much-anticipated, much-awaited, much-expected 
Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and this person that's going to be born is an eternal person, one who had no beginning. His, his origins stretch into everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. An eternal personality, said Micah, is going to be born in the little bitty town of Bethlehem. Powerful stuff. Now notice, though you are small among the clans of Judah, when Bethlehem in the prophet's day, it was, like I said, a little bitty place out of the way, off the beaten path. He could never have known it would be one of the top 10 places to visit in all the world one day, Bethlehem. But everybody in Jesus' day knew where the Messiah was to be born, and that's my point. When the wise men, for instance, when they came from the east following that mysterious star, that star led them to Bethlehem. But they ended up in Jerusalem trying to tag down where the star was finally going to stop. And Herod heard about these wise men. So Herod called all of his Pharisees and Sadducees and and religious scholars, and he called them all together, and he said, where is the Christ to be born? Where is the Messiah to be born? And they quoted Micah 5 to Bethlehem. Now, you know what's always amazed me about this? What's always amazed me? is that even though these theologians, they knew the Bible back and forth and inside and out. They were pros. They knew what the Bible said. They had studied it their whole life, and yet, here comes these wise men. We have followed a mysterious supernatural star, and it's leading us towards Bethlehem. Not one of them, not one of these wise men followed. Not one of these wise men went to check it out. They had no hunger, no desire, no motivation to go and see if these wise men were onto something. In other words, they had all kinds of knowledge but little thirst. They had all the knowledge in the world, but they had no drive, no motivation, no desire to find Messiah. Conversely, when these shepherds were told, Hey, a baby has been born in the city of David. It's the Messiah. It's Christ the Lord. They immediately knew the Bible. They knew the verse. They knew about Bethlehem. And they didn't just sit there on the word. They acted on the word. (coughs) Amen. They acted on the word, and they went straight to Bethlehem, and there they had the joy of finding the baby Jesus. Now, here's my point. Act on the word by coming to Jesus, and his joy will be yours. But if you don't act on the word, see, the word led them to Bethlehem, but the word today leads us to the cross. They said the the word to them was, if you go to Bethlehem, you will find Jesus, but today the word leads us to the cross. You will find him at the cross. We find Jesus at the cross. There is where our, our sins are washed away. There is when our lives are changed. That is the place we encounter God, the cross. It stretches this way and it stretches up. It stretches this way as if to say, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me gather you in my arms. That's one message. It it reaches out towards men, but then it reaches up towards God. 
And when you come to him, he takes you in his arms and then the cross takes you up into the presence of God and you encounter heaven and heaven comes down into your soul and your life is changed. Thank God for the cross. Now here's the deal. All kinds of people know about Jesus, but not everybody who knows about Jesus goes and acts on the word to encounter Jesus, to find Jesus. And I'm so glad that he came into my life. When I heard about the cross, I went to that cross and I found forgiveness at the cross and the burden of my sin was rolled away at the cross and he came into my soul in the cross, at the cross. The cross is where my life was changed. Your life didn't change by an idea. Your life didn't change by a philosophy. Your life didn't change by hugging a tree. Your life is changed when you go to the tree and you say, Jesus, forgive me. And he comes into your life. Has he come into your life today? Have you acted on the word? Have you followed the word and let it lead you to the cross? Those shepherds went and they found the baby Jesus. So did the wise men. Now, the second reason for joy in this verse is the Christmas story is true history. It's history. Now, I want you to look again at the text. And the angel says this, there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Focus with me on three words, born this day. The phrase born this day means, hey, it really happened. It really happened. And many people in our day don't believe that anymore. You can go to some churches and they will tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, all that stuff about the virgin birth and Jesus rising from the dead. We know that's just symbolism and metaphorical speech, and that didn't really happen. And isn't that tragic? Because I'm here to tell you today, it really happened. It really happened. The great Christian thinker, Francis Schaeffer, you ought to read his books used to talk about two kinds of truth. Watch this. Lower story truth and upper story truth. He said lower story truth is made up of the facts of history, things that really happen at a certain time, at a certain place, to a certain people. Lower story truth is real history. But he said upper story truth refers to myths and fables and legends and Things that aren't real, like Aesop's fables or Jack and the Beanstalk. Some of you might like to know that's not true. Stories that we know when we hear them, oh, this is a made-up story. This isn't true. Now, many people today read Luke 2, and they call it upper story truth. They say there's no way that a virgin was overshadowed by some Holy Spirit and the babe conceived in her was of God without a man. There's no way. That's upper story. That's myth. That's fable. That's legend. That's not real. There's no way that God wrapped himself in skin and visited us. That God came to earth via a virgin birth. No way. But Luke's use of the phrase, born this day, tells us it's lower story truth. It really happened. Christmas is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. Peter writes, for we did not follow 
cunningly devised fables. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We did not follow skillfully woven myths or fairy tales. We saw the glory. We touched him. We heard him. We watched him. We spent time with him. We walked with him. We saw him transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah standing next to him. We saw him rise again and taken up into the clouds. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. The Christmas story is his story, a real story cemented in history, including the central truth that there really was a baby born in Bethlehem who really was the very son of God. It's true. It's true. And when I realized that God visited me, that's a cause for joy, amen? That's a cause for joy. But then the last thing is the best thing. Here's the greatest cause for joy. God sent a Savior. God sent a Savior. The climax of verse 11 is when it says, Unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Three descriptive words for Jesus right there. Three powerful descriptive words. Each one is a cause for joy. Savior is an Old Testament word that means one who delivers his people. So you're not free until Jesus has set you free. One who delivers his people. He said, well, I'm free. I come and go as I want. Yeah, but you don't do what is right unless you know him. If you don't know him, you're living in sin. Can I tell you in love? If you don't know him, you're in bondage to sin. You do things that you know are wrong, but you do them anyway because you're in bondage to sin. See, Jesus said, he who knows, he who the son sets free is truly free. You can be in a prison and be free, but you can have all, you can be on 500 acres and be bound up on the inside. You can live in a little shack and have peace and contentment with God and live in a mansion and be restless and miserable. Savior, he came. When the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph, he said, give him the name Jesus for he will save. Everybody say save. He will save his people from their sins. The name Lord is the word for deity. Jesus was and is God. In the beginning was the word, and word was with God, and the word was God. He was not a first century hippie walking around in sandals with long hair and blue eyes, saying cool and loving things to people and kind of tiptoeing through the religious tulips. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus showed up, you were looking God in the eye. He was God. That's the message, the incarnation. Jesus Jesus is God wrapped in flesh, God the Son. And so Lord means deity. And then Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. And that doesn't just mean he was chosen or selected to do a certain thing. It means he had the power to execute certain things. He went about everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was not just anointed and appointed, but he was anointed with the power to set free. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. To set at liberty him that is captive, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Nobody can set you free like Jesus. Nothing will set you free like Jesus. You can't set yourself free from things that are beyond your power. You must be set free by somebody stronger than your habit, stronger than what is vexing you. And his name is Jesus. We so need a Savior today. I'm so glad he sent a Savior. I'm so glad that as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent sitting in jail, me, on a sale of narcotics charge, I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. I wasn't raised in Christianity, wasn't raised in the church. I knew nothing about the Bible, nothing about Jesus. All I knew about Jesus was Jesus Christ Superstar, Are You Really Who They Say You Are? It was a top 40 song. And that's the only thing I ever knew about Jesus. But I got in jail. And in jail, God sent a preacher. And that preacher just read John 3.16, and it grabbed my heart. It just, just flew into my heart, and I got convicted of my sin. And I asked Jesus into my heart that night. I turned to him. I went to the cross, and at the cross, I found him, and I found myself. I found who God really intended me to be. The only reason I'm up here today is because back then, I went to the cross. This was not a career decision. God laid his hand on me to preach and to be a pastor because I came to him and came to know him. So this is the heart and the truth of Christmas. God loved us so much. He didn't send a committee to save us. He didn't leave us to save ourselves. He didn't send an angel to reach us. Uh Uh-uh. When God wanted to reach you and me, he sent his very best. He sent his only begotten son. Whoever looks up to him and says, forgive me, he will save you. He will deliver you. And that's the heart of of Christmas. Can we stand together today? Can you say with me, Emmanuel? God with us. Have you opened up the gift in your life? The greatest gift ever given, have you, ever, have you opened it? The greatest gift you'll ever get is not under your tree. I'm offering it to you today. I don't know many of you. I don't know most of you. But you know what he does? And the greatest gift is called an indescribable gift. And you open it by faith. You just open it by faith. Now, here's what I'm anticipating some of you might be saying to yourself. Because some of you used to walk with God, but you've, you've kind of drifted away. Some of you have a question mark. Have I ever really known him? I don't care if you've been in church. That doesn't have a thing to do with you knowing God. All kinds of people are in church who don't know God. But have you ever, by faith, gone to him, gone to that cross, that one tree that will do you any good, and said, Lord, forgive me, and come into my heart? And and that's when you open the gift. Say, well, I don't have the faith. Yes, you do. God has given, the Bible says, to every person a measure of faith. So, Jeff, if I did it, all I would do is I'd mess up before I got home today. Okay? I'm not calling you to come to him because you're perfect and ready to live a perfect life. I'm I'm leading you to the one who lived a perfect life and whose perfection will be imputed to you the minute 
that you come to him. Well, I don't know how I would do the rest of my life. Well, look at me. I had no high school. I was out there wasted. No 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th grade, sitting in jail. And he came into my heart. He got me up here. So you you can walk this walk. You will by his power. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you'll bow with me (coughs) just for a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you're here today, you can say, you know, Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I I have gotten away. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not here to judge you. I love you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not here to lay rules and regulations on you. I just want to pray a prayer with you. And some of you may have a question mark. Have I ever really opened that gift? Has he ever really come into my heart? If that question mark is in your mind, then you probably need to pray. So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. You can do it. You can do it right now. Don't leave this building without him. You can pray it right now. Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I turn to you as my Savior. I place my faith and my trust in you. Jesus, come into my heart as Savior and Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer and thank you for the joy of the Lord. Amen. Now with your heads bowed.